Welcome to the Get the Knack Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Knack, and I'm coming to you from the Get the Knack Podcast studio in Ocean Shores, Washington. And tonight I have a very, very special guest. It's his second appearance on the show. He hasn't been on the show since maybe the third show. I don't even remember. It's It's been five years since this guy's been on. He is a baseball aficionado expert. He's single-handedly responsible for bringing baseball back to Washington, D.C. <laughs> I am prone to hyperbole, so wait for the intro to be over with. Uh, he is the also the former co-host of the only sports talk radio show in all of armed forces radio sports talk out of navy broadcasting service detachment keflavik iceland he is salt of the earth he has a steel trap for a mind remembers every name that's ever popped into his head and he's also a cancer survivor he's also one of my very best friends on the planet please welcome back to the program mr pat malone Oh, Jerry. Hey, let me tell you something. That was quite an intro. Uh, I, I I don't know if I can live up to all that, but I'll try to do what I can in the time that we're going to have this podcast. And I want to tell you, for all of our listeners, that, um, you know, uh, your podcasts are just uh, great conversations of, uh, you know, I think what you're trying to do is is have just easy conversations with friends about life and about you know some of the some of our past experiences and uh, just what's going on. So I'm really looking forward to the time we spend together in uh, having whatever discussion we have um, for this podcast. It's, it's something I've been looking forward to. Yeah, and I'm happy to have you back on and apologize for not having you on uh, again sooner. Everything happens uh, in life for, for a reason. Um, I think the timing is great because you are uh, – a you know, deep down at heart, as much as you're a fan of a lot of sports, uh, a baseball guy, you started a, a club in Alexandria, Virginia, in the Cal Ripken League called the Alexandria Aces some time ago, a uh, lifelong diehard Yankee fan, just like myself. And, uh, you know, the timing is perfect as, as Major League Baseball and the Players Association finally ended their 99-day lockout. And it's time to get back to the business of baseball because the business of baseball was suspended. And you know as well as I do, off-season, free agency, trades, all of these things are uh, part and parcel to the pro sports experience. So now baseball can get back to the business of the game before they ever uh, step on the field and throw a pitch. Well, yeah. You know, and Jerry, I'm glad you mentioned about the whole broad depth of baseball coming back because um you know there's different uh, layers of really the sport and how it is uh applied to each community i mean obviously there's a fan base of fans who like you and i uh we're diehard yankee fans but you know you have fan bases that are all around the country and many around the world, but I think the most significant thing is, is that for a lot of people, their jobs and livelihood are tied into the sport as well. And they can be broadcasters, they can be vendors, uh, the whole gamut is, is, is huge on the financial impact that baseball actually brings to the 30 communities that it's in as well 
and uh, and also with spring training. So, you know, baseball had to. I think baseball and the players association. Uh, and my personal experience, or my observation, and this is just uh, certainly something from my past experiences with with baseball years ago. They were not going to miss out an opportunity to have a 162 game season, in my opinion. I think with the whole precipice of losing games, the players are going to be losing money. The owner is going to be losing money. And uh, so something had to get done. Um, When you have billionaires and millionaires trying to work something out, they're eventually going to make something happen because they realize that the sport in itself will devalue if there isn't some kind of arrangement made which uh, which they just recently did to uh, to keep the sport together to keep it moving for whatever length of the contract that they have to get you know if that makes any sense but yeah yeah it does because when you think about it you know it goes beyond right baseball has been losing ground lost ground to the NFL years ago right the NFL right. It, it has supplanted baseball as America's favorite sport the, no doubt. The NBA has gained tremendous ground in the last few years. So Major League Baseball can ill afford to lose any fans. They can ill Correct. afford any of this stuff. And you made a great point about, about the ecosystem, right? Because before I got, went to work in pro football, and actually the first exposure I had, and we'll get more into this later, uh, with covering football was with the Canadian Football League and and Baltimore Football Weekly and the Baltimore Stallions with you to see what goes into a three hour event, right? All the people, oh, yeah. all the right, the what the ticket takers, the ushers, the the concessionaires, all the people that go into putting on a sporting event, and that ecosystem suffers when there are labor. Issues And you mentioned uh, the spring cha- training environments, but also, you know, everything suffers, right? The, the minor leagues suffer. Everybody suffers when this happens. If you And you made another great point. Go back to the NFL lockout of 2011. The only game they lost was the Hall of Fame game. They did not right. lose any other preseason game. Right. So even a half-full stadium meant more to them than, than losing that money at the gate. And I got to imagine... Even the Oakland A's, who are going to draw six thousand on opening day, can't afford to lose the six thousand. <laughs> well, no, and you know yourself, you know when you were with the Oakland Raiders, and, you know your whole experience of being uh, in the Bay Area, um, you know you got a chance to see and observe. Of course, you were looking at it from a football standpoint, but you had uh, the 49ers across on the other side. Um, you had also the uh, Giants, uh, the San Francisco Giants, um, and you had the A's, and then, you know... Plus, you um, get the Golden State Warriors, well, too, right? I was going right? to say the I Golden mean, State Warriors yeah. as well, yeah. So, I mean, that whole effort of sports in itself is tied into so many different things. For instance, you know, uh, uh, if my son Brian and I were to go to a Caps game... Um, you know, you show up over at uh, Cap One Arena, uh, Capital One Arena, actually, is, is, is what it's called. But, you know, you show up either, you know, whatever way you got to get there. But there are people that are there when there is a game. And um, I can say Caps, but I can also say the Wizards. What other kind of event? And I'm just using that as an example in Washington, D.C. 
Well, there's that ecosystem around the arena. It, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah the bars and the restaurants. And, right. I was know, just and, in L.A. And, in December and and uh, for uh, Los Angeles Comic Book Convention, L.A. Comic Con. And right. it was next door to what was then Staples Center, now Crypto.com Arena or whatever they're calling it this week. Um, and same thing. You look at the ecosystem around the the arena, right? I mean, because a lot of these arenas were built with the promise of urban renewal. Correct. So all of these businesses sprang up in and around having that stadium there. So if you're not going to go to the game, if you don't have a ticket, you still want to be part of that experience. You want to still be among like-minded people. So the next best thing to do is go have a meal and watch a game on a big screen TV at a local sports bar right next door to the spot, right? Right. Well, yeah, because, it's, it's you know, um, I use the Caps when they – we're in the Stanley Cup Finals, for instance, um, against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And that was back in 2018. Uh, quite famously, uh, in, in Las Vegas and also in Washington, and you really hit the nail on the head when you were talking about people just being uh, around the arenas, either at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas or at Capital One Arena in D.C., People who couldn't get a ticket just kind of rolled off and went into different bars and restaurants that were close by because the experience uh, after the game of rolling out into the street and just being out and say, hey, you know. And being part of the experience. Won. Right. You know, and uh, and, that, and by the way, that also translates to every sport, um, yeah, but you know, for the most part. I one think, of my uh, favorite places on earth is Bubs in San Diego right next door to where the Padres play. Okay. Right. Now I yeah. I was there for football obviously, but this right. this fabulous indoor outdoor sports bar is is right next to where the Padres play. And if if you you know if the Padres don't play, the business might as well just shutter its doors, right? So oh, cuz it, right. it's it's not in the gas lamp. It it it's, you know, off the beaten path. It's kind of on the other side of the stadium. So, there's this, you know, it was interesting because you talk about, you know, a labor uh problem. You look at how COVID has affected things and there, nobody wants to go back to the office, right? And as a matter of fact, right. my employer, I live in Washington, my employer is in Los Angeles. And I work remotely. And one of the things that I saw recently, though, a story on uh, CBS Sunday Morning, I thought was really, really interesting. The ecosystems around office work, the people who sell you breakfast, the people who sell you lunch and newspapers and, and all these different businesses in and around office culture. Those folks are going right. to suffer now. Now, I'm not an advocate of going back to the office. I commuted for how long and hated it. Right. For 12 years, I sat in a car for three hours every day round trip. Right. So there's got to be something that can be done. This is a self-inflicted wound. If they had lost any games at all, this would have been on on these folks and not, you know, a global disease. Well, yeah, you know, I think and, and this is where, you know, somebody who is a true baseball fan, somebody who you know, lives and dies with the sport of baseball. If there were any games that would have been permanently canceled from the schedule that could not have been made up, people would 
inevitably put 2022 in with an asterisk, sure. much like they did, much like they did in 2020 when they only played 60 games. I'm kind of chuckling because you know, uh, and I shouldn't, and I don't mean that as a laugh, but it's kind of like 60 games compared to the 162 game schedule. And by the way. Uh, I appreciated the 60 games that were played in 2020 as much as anybody, but yet, but yet we all know, and you know, and anybody who's a baseball fan knows that the endurance of a season can really make and break teams as they progress. And you'll have teams that might be really hot in May and all of a sudden they start taking a dive in June and July I've got and they two. They might be in the cellar by August. So I've got two killer know, examples for that. Let's go back to the 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 worst labor stoppage in in Major League Baseball history. It cost us a World Series. Let's talk about the best team to ever play the game that didn't get a chance to compete for a World Series. The Montreal Expos. Right. They right. were the best team in baseball in the second half of that season and did not have a chance to compete for it. So no. right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. and and. It, and, and that, and that ba- basically, you know, when I, and, and I, that was in 94, by the way. And, and, uh, uh, you know, when I look back at that season, I was doing some stringer work, um, for a local radio station here in Washington, DC. And, um, I was covering the game on August 12th, which is my birthday. And just happened to go up on covering the Orioles. The Orioles were playing the Red Sox that night. And, you know, I, I go up to the stadium and get my credentials and I, you know, but let me, let me tell you something, Jerry, uh, the game got rained out and I'm talking about, it was like, you know, Noah's Ark type of rain. It was just (laughs) pouring, you know? So, so, um, the night of the strike, uh, and anybody who might've covered that game or might've been in there at the time knows full well that game just was just it was a it was a tremendous rainstorm and uh, the game didn't get played but to go into the orioles locker room after the game and guys are putting on strike t-shirts and you know and um dick bosman who used to play for the senators and then he uh got into coaching and he was with the white Sox and the senators that actually, are now the Texas Rangers. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you uh, added that thought. Okay. So, what was the final score of the last Washington Senators game, and who did they play? Well, <laughs> they played the Yankees, and the final score it was a forfeit. It was nine so, to nothing. Nine to nothing. Yeah. And uh, and by the way, I know we're getting a little sidetracked here, but the no, we're why not. Well, okay. It's two guys <laughs> just shooting gas back and forth. So, exactly. You know, hey, uh, it's like it's like is anybody listening? Hello, hello. Um, no, nah, it's okay. It's just you and I. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, in the in the top of the ninth inning, with two outs, uh, fans went crazy. Yeah, they wouldn't let them finish st- the game, and would not let them finish the freaking game. They were jumping out of the field. Yep. Stealing bases. Um, and uh, better than the senators were doing. Right. Well, they were actually leading five to four. So, you know, it was interesting. But but what's funny about that 
Okay, so it all comes full full circle for you eventually because you led this this grassroots effort to get baseball back in Washington D.C. Right, yeah. and in the full forty five minutes up the road in Baltimore, who's still paying you know uh, Bobby Bonilla's stupid money, um, <laughs> right? Um, right, it, you know is is claiming that you know too much competition in in the geographic area. Eventually, you get the Montreal Expos. The team that gets yeah. screwed out of the deal in 1994. Now that wasn't well, your. Yeah, you know, and, and and by the way, I know I kind of got sidetracked with talking yeah. about. Yeah, the, yeah, uh, but the, the Orioles all... Red Sox game, and I apologize, but no, no, and it's this. all part of the fabric. It's all part of the history, well, right? We're talking baseball here. Well, it, you know, yeah, but but let me say this though, Jerry. That night when Major League Baseball went on strike, um, and uh, like I said, I'm in the I'm in the Orioles locker room, and I really, really the reason why I mentioned Dick Bosman was because Bozzi went and said to me, he says, man, he goes, uh, he goes, this just is not as a good night. Cause he reflected, I think on what impact a strike could have. And certainly you, um, accentuated that point by talking about the Montreal Expos, because I firmly feel, and I think you might feel the same way that had there not been a strike, had the world series not been canceled, Hypothetically, we can say or we can guess, and it's you know it's crapshoot when you guess. But if if everything would have been um, kind of in sync and the planets were aligned correctly and everything would have been normal as far as Major League Baseball goes and the players go and there wasn't any strike, there's a good chance, and I hope you might agree on this thought that if the if the Expos would have won the World Series. They, there might not be a Washington Nationals uh, uh, ball club right now. One hundred percent playing in DC. In yeah, right, so, because they don't get contracted. Right, right, and they don't get relocated. I mean, they they had a squad, they had a team, and you know, oh, yeah. you know, unfortunately, they played at uh, L'Estade Olympique, uh, which was <laughs> the uh, you know Montreal Olympics in nineteen seventy six, uh, yep. famously where Bruce Jenner won the. Um, uh, decathlon and ended up on every Wheaties box in the country for a, a time. Um, and, and, you know, oh my gosh, Andre Dawson and the kangaroo hops in center field. Um, but you know, that was, that was one of the, they, they spent so much time putting that team together and, and they were built for that run and, right. and it, it just all fell apart, uh, because of, of labor strife. Right. So yeah, I mean, butterfly effect, you have no earthly idea what's going to happen if they they make a deep playoff run, they win the World Series. Do they get contracted? Who knows? Um, does does baseball end up in D.C. probably eventually? Maybe not then. Maybe the next day. Um, the the owner of that team up in Baltimore is a freaking idiot. So you know, um, we talk about all this uh, mainly in a lot of ways because that region of the country is is near and dear uh, to our hearts. Pat, I had the opportunity a couple weeks ago to talk to uh, Jim Mason Foley, who, uh, sure. you know, Air Force uh, disc jockey, uh, yep. rocket scientist, quote unquote, with uh, with NASA. Um, He's a great guy, uh, fabulous guy, and you know, five years ago. We got a chance to reconnect in Alexandria. Your cousin owns uh, fire- well, actually, fireworks in Arlington. Yeah. Arlington, excuse me, and uh, fireworks pizza. And uh, it was uh, me, you, Jim Mason Foley, and then Dave Sawyer uh, showed up. 
And, Another uh, great guy. Yep. We had a nice little mini reunion. Some of the best pizza and craft beer I've ever had. Some great conversation, reminiscing. Uh, it was one of those nights you didn't want to end. But uh, what was interesting, what was what's really crazy about how, you know, people get put in, in your life for a reason, right? Everybody you come across and yeah. you, um, I think we're counting that in six figures now. Um, as far as the people you've met and the people, you know, and that you've logged into your brain, but you and oh. I, you and I met in, in Keflavik, Iceland when you were in the air force, I was in the Navy and, uh, Jim had started the sports talk show, which, which was the only one in all of armed forces radio. And, and I'll never forget after I became host of the show, you know, you walked in the door and was like, you know, we can make this better. Let's, let's, let's well, make it better. Hang on. Well, hey, let me tell well, this, let, let, let me tell this story and then you can, okay. you can, you know, whatever. So, you, you know, <laughs> you're like, we can make it better. Like, all right, let's make uh, it better. Right. And I, you know, I couldn't believe Jim had asked me to host the damn thing anyway, because I had made such an idiot out of myself on, on every guest appearance I had made. So anyway, I, I just remember that we put so much effort into having our shit straight. And right. having as much information as possible. I told a story with Jim. I used to go home with bags of um, uh, of teletype, of, of sports news, right? And then, right. We'd, then, then we'd have the, you know, the USA Today. And then we'd get together, me, you, and and uh, and Sid, Captain Patrick Raymond. We, we, we'd, you know, uh, I'd pass out notes and, and we'd, we'd work off the same script. And, and we, we had this show. What the point I'm trying to make or where I'm going with that is... You end up going back to D.C. and working at the Pentagon. I end up stationed at the Washington Navy Yard. And you start with your friend, Baltimore Football Weekly, when the Canadian Football League expanded into the United States. And we covered, and I was moonlighting, obviously, um, to work with you guys on Baltimore Football Weekly and cover Canadian football. It taught me the ins and outs of professional football and how to – how to comport myself in a press box and in a locker room and interview players. And the crazy thing was I got to know Shar Pordonish at that time. Shar, oh, yeah. Shar ends up signing with the Raiders and I, I run into him. I'm run into him. I'm see him at training camp and he's like, I know you. And I'm like, <laughs> I know you. And it was this, this weird moment. Right. And all these guys that were on the eventually great cup championship team. Well, we cut, you know, that year we covered them. They won the great cup. Right. Right. And, and it was just this, this unbelievable thing. And, you know, the crazy part of it was that we knew each other from Iceland. You and I uh, spent time together in DC, which is where you are right now in, in that area. And so that Washington DC, Baltimore, that corridor will always have a soft spot in my heart. There's, there's other not so great memories of, of that time and that, that place. But I have really great memories of that time with you. And the thing that gets me is you have always inserted yourself into things that you're interested in, right? You've never, yeah. been, you know, it, it's hard to explain your, your place in the universe, right? <laughs> I mean, you're kind of, well, you're kind of nebulous, right? And yeah. you, 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 you get involved in political campaigns with people you believe in. You, you led a grassroots effort to bring baseball back to DC. You're, you're an expert and an analyst that, that sports reporters bring on live television to talk about shit. 
Um, right. You are a proud supporter of local businesses and, and, and restaurants. I don't understand as much as I understand you and have known you for damn near 30 years. I, right. I, your place in the universe just blows my freaking mind. Well, Jerry, hey, listen, I, I'm very humbled, by the way. You know, um, um, uh, you know it's, it's very humbling to hear that. And I appreciate it. I feel certainly I am quite blessed by having you as a friend. Um, by the way, did you get my check for, uh, for, for, for that little... <laughs> You know, I wanted to make no, sure. No, I got, I, the, I got the email that had all the talking points. Well, you were yeah. blowing a lot of good gas there. I want to make sure. <laughs> I want to make sure you get paid for it. You know? <laughs> it's like it's like it's, it's it's like baby needs new shoes. You know. So, but, but Pat, I'm not the only one who says this. Everybody I well, introduce you to says the same uh, freaking thing. And you know the other thing that got me. You remember, I was in Baltimore. We were playing the Ravens, and you drove right. up. You drove up from D.C. to hang out and, you know, have a few pops and a, and a, and a burger. And right. uh, what got me was a bunch of the beat writers who cover the Raiders were there, right? Paul Gutierrez, yeah. Vic Tafer, those guys. And you knew them all, at least by right. name. Right? I introduced yeah. you and you were like, yeah. you were like quoting their articles and their coverage. And I'm like, Jesus, when does your mind shut off? <laughs> you know, um, uh, well, first of all, Jerry, let me say this. Um, and I want to rewind back a little bit of what you were just you saying. You go right ahead. I said uh, a lot. You know, and this goes back to when does my mind shut off? Well, you know, I, I have to tell you that um, I was um, in the uh, proverbial E-ring of um, the Pentagon right outside the SecDef's office and I'm walking by with uh, then Chief Warrant Officer Frank Brierton who worked in OSD military personnel. And Chief Brierton at the time told me, he said, um, hey, you got to take an overseas short assignment somewhere. And you got three choices. He said, you can go to Insulate, Turkey, um, which the Air Force has a, a detachment there, uh, air base. <clears throat> or you can go to Osan, Korea. Or you can go to another garden spot <laughs> called <laughs> Naval Air Station Keflavik. And he didn't have to add Iceland on for me to know where that was. And... Um, and so at the time, Jerry, I was working in what was then the Crisis Coordination Center of the Pentagon. Um, and uh, the, uh, the Crisis Coordination Center, I guess at the time when we were working there, we all thought it was like, the, uh, like, uh, like being aboard the Enterprise, like on Star Trek. Because oh, yeah. the, uh, the technology that we had in the Crisis Coordination Center was um, above and beyond what normally would be in, um, in, uh, in everyday life. I mean, so uh, companies would have anything forward thinking or technology that was already advanced would get to us first. And so we were in some ways to do our jobs, which, you know, is to, uh, I guess the collectively the crisis coordination center was built to help 
the secretary and uh, people in his orbit to try to divert crises or to try to, you know, take care of crises around the around the world. So, um, you know, I'm I'm working in in, in the uh, in the admin office. Uh, Shirley Axtell, she passed away a couple of years ago. God bless her. She was the director. And uh, I told her, I said, hey, I got an assignment potentially to go to three places. I told her, I said, I'm, you know, out of the three, I'd like to go to Iceland because it's closer to home. Mm. Now, my son at the time, Brian, was um, I think very, about four years. Yeah, he was very young. Yeah, he was four years old. And I thought, you know, going to Korea, my father was a proud Korean War vet, um, but it's 12 hours west. And then I thought, Insulic Turkey, um, it's not really uh, on the, you know, it's 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 there, but it's like maybe six, seven hours east. And Iceland, um, you know, geographically at times, it's it's up there. Don't don't get me it's wrong. About it's five hour, hour, about a five hour yeah, flight. Yeah, four to five hours. You know. Yeah. So um, so inevitably, mm. I picked Iceland, and I want to tell you, Jerry. Um, uh, when I, you know, I look back, first of all, um, on the day that I, on the night, I should say the night that I flew to Iceland, um, I've got a big, heavy ditty bag with me. I'm in uniform and, uh, I was taking a U.S. air flight to Baltimore and then they had the, um, there was a flight from Baltimore to Iceland. And so I'm uh, getting ready to get on the plane and it was a small little, you know, uh, you know, jet. And, um, and so uh, what happened, and I'm actually, let me say this, the jet was flying from Washington to Philly and, 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 the, and both pilots who were on the, on the flight said, Hey, you know, we're, we're both uh, retired air force. Um, where's your, where's your bag? Because uh, we watched all the bags get loaded, we didn't see your bag get on. I said, "Man, I don't know. I didn't, you know." So, <laughs> so the so the so the so the pilot and the co-pilot said, "We're not flying anywhere until we make sure you get your bag." Jerry, my bag was still in the terminal. They had not brought my bag out, and if it wasn't, I got to tell you something. If it wasn't for those two guys, I would have ended up in Iceland <laughs> with nothing. With nothing. And so, and so I can't, I don't even know who those guys are, but to this day, I, I, I mean, it's like, you know, um, the, my planets aligned correctly or, you know, so I get the bag, I get on the plane, I get to Iceland and, um, and, 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 uh, uh, you know, I have to tell you, um, my first day in Iceland, I mean, I get there and, you know, I get on the bus and, I can't think of his name right now. He was a captain in the Air Force, but uh, Marty, I can't think of his last name. But he was at the Pentagon, so I recognize him. I go, oh, man, you know, he says, hey, Pat, how you doing? And, they, you know, hey, Captain, how you doing? Jerry, it was, um, for me, uh, it was kind of a surreal experience being up there. You know, I will tell you, I got up there on November 5th or 6th, I guess what it was, in uh, 1992, and um, it, it all happened so quick, so fast. There was a group of us who came up together. And you're on the rotator is what it's called. And, you know, most people don't know what the rotator is. The rotator is a plane that brings people back and forth to Iceland. And out of Philadelphia. 
right, correctly, out of Philadelphia. And um, so, um, you know, I got I got to know a small cadre of people that, uh, you know, we all came up together and um, and we were all in the dorm at the same time, the Air Force dormitory. And uh, of course, you know, as we were talking about the other night, the Air Force dorm is like uh, we, we had like condos uh, compared to club med compared to everybody else. Now, I will say this. The Navy barracks, you know, you're looking at two people. Right. I mean, when right. I first came out of, uh, you know, a school and was fixing airplanes, we were up to five guys a room. But right. at least in Iceland, from what I remember, you know, Navy was it was two people to a room, which was was much much better. But you guys, geez, right? You well, know. you know, and, and 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 so and so and so, you it's know, like I being in sandals in the Bahamas for fuck's sake. Right? Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah, I'm like, wow, this is great. So, so then I, I get to uh, I get to my office, and of course, as you mentioned, Captain Patrick Sid Raymond. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's there and, uh, and, uh, the biggest we Notre were... Dame apologist you'll ever meet in your life. Oh, and, and, and I'll tell you what, a great, a great guy. He's a great oh, husband. Sure. No, and, it's... And, and great father. And, uh, and, uh, and, and he's got a wicked sense of humor. Um, don't I remember, but, but I have to tell you, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> fight a blue. Anyway. Oh my God. So, oh so, yeah. God bless I don't even America. Want to bring that up. God bless so, America. But but uh, but so we're in the office and we're listening to um, the uh, Naval Broadcasting Service uh, radio, which you, know, you had just mentioned. And as we're listening, um, each day there would be a trivia question. Mm, yeah. And the trivia question, whoever could answer the trivia question correctly, would win a free pizza from the Mar Bar. And the Mar Bar, by the way, is the Marine Bar. Yep. And, uh, and you know, by the way, surprisingly, and of course, uh, the distance of time kind of might fade my memory, but I think they had good pizzas. I, you know, at least it's what no, I thought. No, it was funny because the Marine Bar, the Mar, the Mar Bar, was this real intimate thing. It was the right. closest thing you had to a dive bar on base. Correct. Correct. And I remember because right before I left, I was mock arrested by base security at the Mar Bar. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, well, you know, it was it was all in jest, all in fun, and it was it was a way of base security of saying goodbye to me. Um, you know, it it, uh, it was one of those places where, seriously, it was the closest thing to a dive bar. It was quiet. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it specialized more in hard liquor than it did beer or anything else. <laughs> right. But, yeah, well, the pizza, yeah, you know, their and, pizza was good right. compared and to so, everything else. Exactly. You know, and, 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 and the thing is, I think if I my memory might serve me correctly, uh, we had been answering – the sports trivia questions because you know hey no you guys had a monopoly on it right you know and then that is when you called and you said what are you guys doing and uh, <laughs> and and it's like you had we were joking around of being between the three of us when you had us uh, we were talking on on uh, Sid's speakerphone uh, at his at his desk by the way or you know this conversation ensued that you had thought that we had this big you know, uh, trivia book and we're, and this is all pre-internet, right? So there's no Google, there's no Yahoo, there's no no searching anything. Right. 
Yeah, and we're just going by our memories. You know, we're just like, oh, man. And and here's the the funny thing is, and I remember this is the the answer that that sold you guys and sold you, at least maybe also for, for uh, Chief Warrant Officer Jones. The question was, ladies and gentlemen, what was the date of the Chicago Cubs' first night game mm. at Wrigley Field? And, of course – you know, right away, Sid and I both, you know, we're reaching for the phone. I think I actually, it's funny because I, I had, I had gotten through first and I said that famously the logo was, and the date was based on that logo, eight, eight, 88, because they took the eight, eight, 88 and they made them in the lights. Yeah. They turned it and into he- a thing. Right, but here's where here's where the hook was. Here's where the hook was. Here's where this really sold you and everybody else in the studio. Then I said, but the game didn't get played that night. And then there was a little bit of a pause in the conversation. It's like, what? I said, nah, it got rained out. The Dodgers are playing that night. And then they didn't play the first night game until uh, 8, 9, 88. So, you know, uh, uh, you know, there was kind of a, a little bit of chuckling ensued. I want to tell you something, though, Jerry. When we came into the studio – Sid and I came in, we, um, I, I think we were open-minded. I think that we enjoyed the opportunity, at least I can speak for myself. And I know Sid and I both, when, when we were on the way there is we were, we were, we were looking forward to like what you and I are doing tonight, just sitting around and shooting some gas and talking about sports. Now, and that's I what we to, ended up doing for right, the better part right. of two years on that on that program, right? right? Well, right. And, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because, you know, to, to, and I, I appreciate your compliment that I said I wanted to professionalize the show or to make it better. You know, one of the things that my late father always told me is, is whatever you do, wherever you go, try to make things better than they were so that when you leave things behind, you can at least say you did the best you can. And you made the best effort. And so, um, you know, I did have that mindset and I wasn't trying to be cocky. No, no, no. And, and here's, here's the thing though. You had knowledge of what was going on in stateside radio. You knew what those formats were. You knew what they were talking about, right? Because we we're at the cusp and, and I will never in a million years compare myself to these people, but we're on the edge of Jim Rome. We're right. on the, and now the JT, the bricks, right? And I know JT personally and, and count yeah. him as a friend, right? So we're yeah, on the yeah. edge of folks like that, right? Never well, mind the shock jocks like, like Imus and Greaseman and all those people. Right. Right. And I, and I bring up Greaseman for any of your friends that are going to listen to this, this program. <laughs> God, I used to listen to him on my drive <laughs> we, home. My hey, Lord. We, 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 hey, listen, we love Greece, but oh. anyway, so. <laughs> and, and rightfully fired when he got fired, but. The thing was, you had some knowledge that I yeah. didn't possess, right? So it really was a good well, education on what was happening in the sports talk world. Jim, to his credit, created a show where we could just talk sports, right? For right. for and, for fifty four minutes a week right. on a Friday well, afternoon, you know. And, right? and, and 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 to Jim's credit, um, much like I just said, and I think when he just was talking about the show, when I heard the podcast of you and Jim last week, is that when you have an inspiration, you have an idea, um, you know, 
that you want to make something good out of what you're trying to do. Sure. But, 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 you know, I think in Jim's mind, at least from what I heard you got, when you guys were talking, he certainly didn't know what the end end was going to be or the end game was going to be, but you no. just push something forward and, and you want to be creative and you want to be inspirational and you want to be entertaining. And he finally you know, found somebody who believed in the concept, right? right? That was the whole thing. He had very much like, uh, you know, George Carlin did in the very beginning. And even Larry, the cable guy created these, these radio personas, and, and that's right. what a Jim had done at his previous assignment. So when he got to Iceland and he had this idea, you know, nobody to that point had bought in. And Chief right. Warrant Officer Tom Jones actually bought in on the idea. Well, so and, Right. And, and by the way, you know, you have to give credit to, to Chief Warrant Officer Jones and, you know, and to Jim and, and everybody who was there as the – um, people who really laid the foundation and uh, and gave it their um, okay and really kind of blessed it moving forward because, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, as you mentioned earlier, I think at the time there wasn't anybody in um, probably Armed Forces Radio. Nobody was. was. It was the only one. Yeah, we were the only ones that were doing sports talk. Yep. And and so let me, uh, let me also say that um, – and I'm kind of laughing now because of the different guests that we brought on. Oh, that was all you. Oh, geez. Well, was that? Okay. Let's, I know, no, no, but, no, no. Let's, no well, let's, let me say, well, but let me say this. I, I appreciate you saying that. And, 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 you know, I guess in some ways when I came on board, I kind of helped you out as being a little bit of a, be a producer with the show. Well, let yeah, let's, let's get into that in a second. You're listening well, to I, the get the neck podcast. I'm your host, Jerry neck. And I'm talking to my very, very good friend, uh, sports provocateur and God knows what else, Pat Malone, Pat, you, you bring up a really good point. So let's talk about that because <laughs> no, no, we, we got to talk about this because this is what made the show. This is what, yeah. what took the show to the next level. It was one thing to up the research, to have notes and have a, almost a script, right? We knew right. every week what we were talking about. I, I would print out three copies, one for each of us, of all the things we we're going to talk about in 54 minutes on a Friday afternoon. And, and you know, we used every resource at our fingertips. Right. But then your ability, yes, you acted as a producer, your ability to land celebrity guests, never mind, you know, Warren Officer Jones was great. He approved him. He's like, just do him once a month. But your ability to land these celebrity guests increased the credibility of this program a hundredfold. So thank you. Thank you. We, we had Mel Kuyper Jr., Joe Theismann, and I got a story for that. We had we we had Van Earl Wright twice. We had, and if, for those of you who don't know, Van Earl Wright was on CNN as part of their sports program that rivaled Sports Center, that was better than Sports Center at the time, and somehow Sports Center eclipsed it. Right. But you know, we had we had Raleigh McKenzie, and who I knew I got to know later on personally. We, right. we, and then never mind the time we stalked them in the parking lot at RFK Stadium, but, <laughs> but that's a different thing. We right. had these guests and we had them on the phone. Unfortunately, the way the technology was at the time, the board set up, we couldn't take call-ins when we had these phone calls with these, these folks, but we right. had all these fantastic guests 
and part of that, part of that, and as I mentioned to Jim, as far as kickstarting my career, that also helped me start to formulate my career in sports. Here I am interviewing football players and draft experts and former former athletes. Joe Theismann, I want to say I was in Seattle. Right. One of my first first times in Seattle, and Joe was doing the game, and I went up to Joe and I said, "You remember being on a sports talk program in Iceland?" And he goes, "Yeah, I do." I said, "I was the host <laughs> of that show. That that's my show." He's like, "Oh my god!" And so I'm having this moment with Joe Theismann, and, and and if you remember, we asked him. We said, "What's your?" worst memory of pro football and we thought he was going to talk about the night that lawrence taylor broke his leg he's like no no it's howie long chasing me in the super bowl right 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 you know but we had you know you remember at that time when we had mel kuyper jr on that's when he was pioneering this concept of the draft nick exactly yeah right you know right right and it just um, elevated the credibility of the program. And you were the one who had all the damn freaking connections to get all the fucking guests. <laughs> well, Jerry, well, let me say this though. I, I appreciate, you know, uh, the, your, 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 your compliments and your, your thought because, but, but, you know, the inspiration truly was my late father. Um, because I was telling my dad, uh, one day we're having a conversation that he was at the time down in Pompano beach, Florida. And wasn't um, your dad a professional golfer? Yeah. 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 Like yeah. A, him some and kind Ar- of a golf pro. Right. He, well, big, him big, and Ar- he knew like a lot of people. Well, yeah. Him and Arnold Palmer were lifelong friends. Oh, Jesus Lee Trevino and Jack, Jack Nicholas. And all Chai Chai Rodriguez. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Chai Chai Rod, Rod Guiz. Um, Chichi Rodriguez for anybody who's listening. I had to get That's the Les Nesman in I, there. You know. I know you had to. So, uh, but, um, you know, one day I'm talking to my dad and he says, um, he says uh, much, he says, man, he says, you got all these connections, blah, 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 you know. And then he said, he said, you ever think about calling Bristol? And I said, uh what am I going to call Bristol for? He says, ESPN, the guys sitting around, they ain't got nothing else to do. He goes, you know, between whatever they're doing, um, they got time to go and shoot the shit with you. And so he says, you guys are doing a sports talk show. You're up in Iceland. You're on the Navy broadcasting service. Give it a shot. So, um, so uh, it really, the whole idea, Jerry, and I think, um, just being there at the time was um, my thought was what can we do to one up ourselves each week with either a guest or something that would really be entertaining for people who were listening. Um, But uh, you know, yeah, uh, I have to tell you though, and I want to say this right now. So one morning um, it was the Saturday morning. It was really early in the morning. And I'm in the chow hall. This is at Keflavik in Iceland. And I'm at the chow hall. And I'm having a couple bowls of special case cereal. And I'm just, you know, kind of taking it easy. And this guy walks up to me. And he says, uh, hey, are you Pat Malone? I looked up and I said, yes, I am. He said, uh, I wanted to thank you for doing sports talk with your guys, with your crew is what he said. He said, you've made um, 
you know, uh, the whole experience of listening to sports or whatever a little bit more enjoyable when you guys do your show. And I said, wow, that's really great to know. But then he kind of paused and <laughs> wait for it. Here it comes. He goes, but I'm going on the rotator. I'm going back to the States where they got real sports. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and I got up. I fell out laughing. I got up. I was in tears. I, and we were both laughing. I gave the guy a hug. And I said, dude, I said, hey, good luck in your career wherever you go. Because he was leaving Iceland. And uh, and just that whole comment, I'm going back to the States where they got real sports <laughs> talk. And I'm like, okay, not that we had a homogenized version. But uh, let me say this, though, and I want to set this up. So, um, and I don't know where the idea came up from, uh, you know, whether it was Sid or, you know, me or you. But somebody said, let's get uh, Harry Carey. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, so that time, hang on. Wait a minute, let me say that. Well, hang on. Hang on. That time, that time is the best time I ever had in my military career, right? And I almost forgot about Harry Carey. I almost, and and the I don't know, you can tell the story how you got him, but I will never forget that we got him at the very end of his interview to go, Cubs win, Cubs win. And it, oh, yeah. oh, it's yeah. a, it was a highlight of, of everything at that time. And, well, and, you know, and it was so funny because we joked about him drinking at seven o'clock in the morning or whatever the fuck time it was, right, wherever right. he was in Chicago or wherever he was on the planet. But yeah, a, I don't well, know how the hell you got Harry Carey, but you know, well, 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 let me, let me set it up. I'll tell you what happened. So, you know, I ended up, um, I ended up, uh, calling the Cubs and, um, as you do. Right, right. Hey, got to go to the source, you know. Hey, listen, if you're going to fish, Jesus you got to go Christ. where the fish are. Well, yeah. And, right, right. So I figured I'm going to call the Cubs and give it a shot. So I call it the Cubs, and, you know, this woman answers the phone very, hey, uh, thanks for calling the Chicago Cubs. Can I help you? And I said, hey, yeah, my name is Pat Malone. I'm calling from Keflavik, Iceland. I'm with the Navy Broadcasting Service. And, uh, I'm trying to reach Harry Carey. She says, oh, you're trying to reach Harry? Okay, hold on a second. Let me get you his number. Oh, Jesus. And, uh, right. And so I'm like, wow. So, of course, I got pen to paper, and I write down his number. She gives me his number. And she says, um, hey, you know, what? Uh, how's things up in Iceland? Small talk, small talk. And, and she said, well, take care. And then I hung up the phone with her. And then the next thing I do... I call Harry. Well, Harry answers the phone right away um, with his big bounding voice. Mm. Uh, and by the way, for our listeners who don't know, Harry Carey was the Chicago Cubs play-by-play uh, -play announcer. But he was also a Chicago institution. The guy led, well, yeah, he led I mean, he take was, me out to the ball game every seventh right. inning stretch. Seventh and inning. Yeah. yeah. He, he had been with the Cardinals in St. Louis as well, but right. that's, but where then his, that's where he, Then his kids made their bones on, on TBS with Turner and, right. you know, doing, right. I mean, Skip Carey was, was a, a baseball and basketball announcer for years. So yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so, so I get Harry on the phone and, uh, and I said, uh, Harry, this is Pat Malone, and I'm calling from Keflavik, Iceland. 
So all of a sudden, you know, he had a little bit of a, maybe a crowd and there might've been some drinking going on. I don't know, but he, he sounded like he was in his cups, by the way. And he said, uh, no pun intended. Ha ha. But here he goes and says, Hey everybody, I got Pat Malone. He's calling me from Iceland. <laughs> so, <laughs> you do that frighteningly well, by well, the way. I thought my impression well, was okay, but no, you got a good one there. Well, you know, but the thing is, I want to tell you something, Jerry. Uh, Harry and I connected right away. And I think he did that with everyone he ever connected with in baseball, people that he uh, spoke to, because Harry really was just a genuine guy. He was, yeah, he was the whole saying Cubs fan, Bud man, the whole thing. But, you know, he was really a down-to-earth, decent human being who – enjoyed life to the fullest. And certainly I want to say this when, uh, I told him that I wanted to have him as a guest on our show. He said, Oh, I'd love to be on the show with you guys because you know, his, um, bountiful experience of his whole depth of, you know, being on with the St. Louis Cardinals and with the Cubs and, and being a, a baseball voice and being somebody that baseball fans knew for years, he was the type of guy that I knew once we had him on the show, people who were listening to our show who were sports fans and certainly baseball fans would know who he was. So, sure. um, so, so anyway, so I kept the conversation, initial conversation with him short. I said, Harry, listen, sounds like you got a party going on. He says, yeah, I got a couple feet, couple people over at the, uh, at the place, you know, we're just kind of commiserating around and you know, talking. And I said, but when's the next time I can call you? He says, Oh, give me a call tomorrow. You know, he told me the time that I give him a call back. And so I call him the next day and, and I said, uh, what are some dates that we can work with you that are good? Um, I told him what our schedule was. So we said, uh, hey, let's do this on whatever Friday it was. And so, of course, you know, as we set it up and I said, Harry, I got to tell you something. And he goes, yeah, Pat, go ahead. Whatever you got to tell me, you know, because he knew I was getting a little serious on this point because we used to joke and cut up and whatever. We're talking about the Cubs, talking about baseball. I told him, I said, uh, well, Harry, this uh, show is on the Navy Broadcasting Service. And, um, you know, I got to tell you, you can't mention Budweiser. (laughs) <laughs> and you can't, and, and you know, you, you just can't do it. And I said, because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's government radio. Well, we had and, to have a talk with you about Jenny cream ale. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know <laughs> yeah. back in my days of being up in Rochester, New York, right? But my beloved hometown, yes, well, your my, hometown, rock city, baby. Yep. Rock city. But anyway, so Harry goes and agrees he goes, you know what, Pat? He says, I'll never bring up Budweiser. I get it. I understand. You know, Navy Broadcasting Service, government radio. I get it. I won't bring it up. No problem. He says, I said, Harry, great. We'll just talk about you. We'll talk about the Cubbies. And we'll just, you know, kind of shoot the shit and just have a good time. And he and, goes, and don't bring up Steve Stone. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, that's another thing. But. The, the thing that, you know, still to, de- to this day that really cracks me up is um, we're in the studio and, you know, we got him and we told him we we're only going to interview him for 20 minutes. And we're getting about to, I think, probably around the 16 minute mark. And all of a sudden, if you remember correctly, 
Here he goes. Hey, Pat, I got a question for you. <laughs> and, I, and you and me and Sid looked at each other and we knew it was coming. And and I said, yeah, Harry, uh, what's your question? He goes, you guys sell a lot of Budweiser up in Iceland? <laughs> Uh, uh, and of course the warrant wasn't really too pleased with that <laughs> no but you know it's funny because you can't control such things and no. I've, I've got a i've got a funny story about how things come full circle right so right yeah, yeah i'm glad you reminded me, <laughs> reminded me harry carey because i almost forgot about that um so you remember scoop scoop hansen Oh God, yeah, yeah, and, Todd. and it, yep, Todd Scoop Hansen, and it was yep. so, it was so so funny because Scoop, God love him, collects shit, and <laughs> well, yeah, he he was on this epic letter writing campaign back in in the early nineties to get autographed stuff, right. And when he found, I, rem- I, re- I remember that, yeah, yeah. I mean, his collection is is freaking phenomenal. Right. And he told me, he said, You're, when he found out what a Raider fan I was at the time, and he's like, you got to write to the Raiders. you got to get some, you got to get something. Write to Al Davis, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, nah, it's not me, whatever. So my <laughs> dumbass actually writes to the Raiders. Right. And I get a letter back. I wish I still had it. And I get a hat. And the team was still in LA at the time, but right. I get I get a hat, I get a, a LA Raiders ball cap, and I'm I'm gonna put a feather in the cap on the whole sports talk discussion in a second. So Scoop would come on come on sports talk, you know, as a regular contributor, uh, like you and you and Sid did, and yeah. so I get to the Raiders, and I meet Karen Fudgy Otten, and I'm I'm dear friends with her. You know, she's one of my dear friends to this day. She was one of Mr. Davis, Al Davis, uh, one of his assistants. Right. She was the one who sent me the fucking hat. Wow. 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 Yeah. She remembered right. the letter and she's the one who sent me the damn hat. Wow. And, and you know, and by the, and by the way, for our listeners who don't know, and many who don't know, is that you worked for the Raiders for 20 years. And so I just wanted to throw yeah, that in there. Of course, but yeah, people my, might figure it out. Yeah, yeah. My within my my first year there, when I got to know Fudgy a little bit, um, right. she's like, "Yeah, I, I remember that. I'm the one who sent it to you." I'm like, wow. "Jesus Christ!" Wow. So wow. Yeah. yeah. So I didn't know if I ever told you that story or not. But no, I I, I, I didn't know. But you know, yeah. but 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 you know, Jerry. Let me say this: that um, you know, uh, you had mentioned first of all, we leave Iceland and. Uh, and uh, we both you know, ended up in D.C. at the same time. We both ended up in D.C. area. And, you know, um, uh, a, a good friend of mine, Brian's godfather, uh, godfather, Bob Smith, um, he the CFL was coming to Baltimore. And so we went up to Memorial Stadium. I think it was Brian and myself and Bob Smitty. And we go up to the stadium and Jim Spiros, who is also equally a good friend, uh, Jim Spiros was the owner of the then Baltimore CFL Colts. 
and uh, <laughs> the Baltimore yeah, Football yeah. Club. Well, they the yeah. they call the CFO Colts, and anyway, yeah. So yeah, lawsuit but, but, and everything else that right, went with the that. Lawsuit, they lost the name, but. Uh, Smitty and I went and bought season tickets and, um, we said, Hey, yeah, we're going to get on something like God, this because Smitty. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and, 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 and he was the editor in chief, uh, and publisher of the Baltimore football weekly. And so, um, that wasn't until the 95 season. So the 94 season really kind of set us up, you know, because the, Colts, the CFL Colts. They went thing. to the Grey Cup and lost their first Well, year. they lost to the BC Lions, yeah. Yep. Um, funny story about that was is that, you know, here we are season ticket holders, and and I ended up watching the game uh, at a bar right right near the Inner Harbor. And I don't Not know a what bad spot. No, it was a great spot because, you know, hey, the CFL – I guess at that time they might have been called just the Baltimore CFLs because they lost the lawsuit to the NFL for the Colts. I so. think it was, it was. I think it was Baltimore Football Club. It and, might be the Baltimore Football Club. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and Spiros had this this genius marketing thing when he actually slapped the name Stallions on the team. They they sold merchandise at an amazing clip. Oh, it was, it was, it was, it was huge. Yeah. But, but I'm going back to the 94 season. So I'm in, uh, in this bar, um, and, uh, come rolling out of the bar after the game Now they had lost to the BC lions. It was a close game. And uh, I don't remember the score. I'd be rain man. If I could tell you what the exact score was, but as I walk out, um, a reporter from, yeah, I don't know, two, 11 or 13, those are the three uh, stations in Baltimore. A reporter says, hey, you know, and I had some stallions, I had some Baltimore football club gear on and I come walking out and all of a sudden the guy, whoever it was, interviews me. Hey, what'd you think about the game? Blah, blah, blah. Well, my clip ends up going on the air that night and I'm hearing from friends of mine who were from Baltimore saying, man, what are you doing? You don't even live in Baltimore. You know, you're from Alexandria, Virginia, and yet you're talking about our team and whatever. And I said, hey, listen, I'm a season ticket holder. Uh, I love the concept. I love the team. I love uh, 110-yard football. And so, you know, that was that. Then Smitty, Bob comes up with the idea. He says, you know, he said, I've always wanted to do a – publication to cover a team let's do the baltimore football weekly which was a tabloid and that he created and we just really kicked it off uh, we contacted uh, the i guess they were the, still the cfls was before they were the stallions but we went up to memorial stadium and we met with folks from the club we said, hey, listen, we're we're going to do a, a weekly uh, tabloid publication on the team. And um, so uh, we kind of got the blessing. I wouldn't say we kind of we got the blessing of the of, of uh, Jim Spiros and his staff to uh, to do it. And then, you know, I reached out to you and and we, we had a, a small team, a cadre of uh, folks that really wanted to cover the, the, the stallions as they were known in 1995. And it was, you know, Jerry, I don't know about you, but it was, that was that, that whole, that whole experience. Uh, first of all, I have to thank Bob tremendously. Sure. Uh, 
he was the uh, team photographer, or actually, he was say. he was everything. He was the publisher. You were, if I remember right, like the editor in chief. I was just a freaking staff reporter, and yeah. and I just remember going through the whole process of getting a photo credential and and being there on game day and and all the different things that went with it being in the locker room that team that won the great cup that year that we did it that we covered it right had a blend of traditional cfl powers and future nfl talent on that coaching staff and that roster that year that was, that was almost magical. You had right. Don, Don Matthews was the head coach. Tracy Ham yep. was a quarterback. Mike Pringle was the running back. He ran for 2,000 yards that year. Ended up with the Denver Broncos. Yeah. Carlos Huerta was the kicker. He ends up with the Chicago Bears where he couldn't hit the broadside of a battleship. Um, yeah. But whatever. O.J. Brigance was the edge rusher on that team. And we know he is an NFL legend. And, you know, with the Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Ravens uh, franchise – Right. I mean, uh, Josh Miller was the puncher who goes on to punt for the Steelers and the Patriots in the NFL. Sharport Amish oh. is the left tackle on that team. He, you he, know, he blew out his knee the year that I met him in Raiders training camp. So he never, he didn't make the team. But so many of the guys on that team either had NFL experience or would go on to NFL experience. Their cornerbacks right. were NFL quality. Right. Their special teams guy, the kick returner, was all world. Right, Drummond, Robert Drummond was from Syracuse was on that team. He ends up to go go play for the Detroit Lions, right? right? So that team was the ultimate mix of NFL football, NCAA football, and Canadian football. And they ended up winning the Great Cup the year that Baltimore Football Weekly becomes a thing. The year I become a sports writer, and then five years later, I'm working in the National Football League. And, and, you know, launched my 20-year career. So I can thank you as much as I can thank Jim Mason Foley for wow. what happened to me throughout my, my you know, professional life. All right? Well, so, well and, and, and by the way, Jerry, let me say this. I mean, you know, certainly any of us, we, at the time, um, we had no idea what the future would hold. God, no. Yeah, we had no clue. Pat, but, it, it, it's but, one of those things where, you know, I, I said it before, I'll say it again, and I'll say it until I'm dead. Everything happens for a reason, and people are put in your path for, for you know. Well, right. I don't, I'm not a God person. I'm not a, a religious person. And I right. never, you know, I haven't been for a long time, and I probably never will be again. But the bottom line is people are put in your path for a reason. You know, I told I told you last night when we talked, um, that at the time I didn't view Jim as a mentor. Actually, right. he was more of a pain in the ass than anything else, <laughs> but, but in a good way, right? Yeah. Because oh, he, because he yeah. did it right. And he knew what he was doing right. and he was trying to teach me. Right. So right. teach me the right way. So now when you look at the opportunities that you had and, and the different thing, I mean, just the, the Scoop Hansen story, I mean, he, like, like, tell me the planets weren't aligned when I meet the person who sent me that letter and sent me that right. hat, right? Right, and right. So the bottom line is you get – people are put in your path for a reason. And when you look back at it, it's not any one particular thing. It's a cumulative. It's a uh, – 
it just one thing adds to the other. It's foundational blocks that that lead to what you end up doing in life. And you know, between between Jim naming me host of that show, first of all, asking me to be on it at all, naming right. me host of the show, you instead walking in the door and saying, "Let's make this better." Then you giving me the opportunity to be a sports writer leads to it all leads to a 20 year career that I'm going to end up with a pension from. Right. I've worked a Super Bowl. How many people could say they worked a Super Bowl for their favorite team? Sure. Right. I've worked yeah. a Super Bowl. Um, I, I wish, you know, I have the wrong ring. I have an AFC championship ring. I do not have a Super Bowl ring. But, you know, and the people I've met along the way, I've met childhood heroes. I've gotten to know childhood heroes. I have them in my phone, for fuck's right. sake. Right, 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 right So yeah. you, Pat Malone, have been part <laughs> and parcel to the fabric of my professional career. Never mind that we're, we're, we're good friends and always will be. But the fact of the matter is, my professional life, you're part of the fabric of that right so well, and, and and you know jerry let me say this first of all um i i can tell you from a distance i was very proud when you got hired with the raiders and looking at our experiences of working together with the baltimore football weekly and in our experience of doing sports talk just doing dumb I, shit like going to redskins games right 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 I mean, or even that. I mean, who did right. we who did we run into on the elevator but the play-by-play -play guy for the damn washington redskins Right. I mean, right, we right, go to yeah. one game and we're like, we're talking to, what the fuck was that guy's name? Um, um, you know what I'm talking about. The the radio guy. You're talking about, you're talking about uh, Frank Herzog. Yeah. Frank Herzog. Right. And, right. and wasn't it yeah. Sam Huff on the damn elevator? Uh, Sam was. Yeah. yeah and then right? Sonny, Sonny was also part of that team. Yeah. Right. But he wasn't on the elevator with us. No, so he wasn't like, on the elevator. It was just Sam and, uh, Sam right. and Frank. But so, you know, um, but it uh, all. Let me, per, it, let me put a, a cap on it, and then then you can you can go off. It, it it all prepared me, right? I interviewed four star admirals and generals. I sat I sat in the Secretary of Defense's chair, thanks to you. I saw all the shit that went on behind the scenes at the Pentagon, thanks to you. But the bottom line is, everything that we did from Iceland sports talk, my time as sportscaster. On NBS, right on on right. on on Newsline, all of that prepared me for the career I ended up having. And I remember I had a conversation with my mom. God, God bless her. Yes, thank you. Before I I got the job with the Raiders, and she's like, you know, what did you do all of this for? What it you right. know the the Navy and all the different things you did. What the hell did you do it all for? Because I couldn't find a job. I couldn't. I tried to get into commercial broadcasting. Like there was no I, tomorrow. I could not. And get I remember. Job. I remember. I remember that. Yeah. Right. Because because oh, you yeah. were trying to help. Right. And right. and she's like, "What did you do all this for?" And when I got the job at the Raiders, and for twenty years, I did everything, everything I ever learned at NBS with Baltimore Football Weekly and everything we all did together. Right. And I right. talked to I talked to Chris uh, Ingalls about this as well, you know, because we were disc jockeys together. Never mind, you know, sports and and talk shows, but you know, right. just multimedia in general, right? I used everything I ever learned during that time, during that that roughly eight year period from ninety two to two thousand. In the twenty years I, I worked for the Raiders, so 
all of you were part and parcel to my career. And I can't thank you enough for that. But, you know, and then to know people like Reggie McKenzie in, you know, personally and, you know, to be able to say, hey, Pat Malone says hi, um, you know, is great. And right. And by the way, for our listeners who don't know, Reggie was the general manager of the Oakland Raiders. Reggie was, and his brother Raleigh was right. was uh, was a scout for the Raiders, and it was Raleigh who was playing with the Redskins, and we, and we, you know, uh, and and, and, at the and his time. wife and his wife Martha um, is a lifelong friend. A really funny story about that is Martha Trower. She and I were good friends at the Pentagon. We worked in the same. Uh, we worked for the defense. Uh, um, security assistance agency at the time, GSAA. One day we were going to lunch and we're walking down the hall in the Pentagon. And, and you know, she says, I met this guy last night and I really like this guy. And uh, I said, Really? She goes, Yeah. I said, Okay, you know. And I said, Well, who is he? Well, his name is, is, is Raleigh, Raleigh McKenzie. And I thought, Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, and I looked at her and I said, Raleigh McKenzie from the Redskins? And she said, yeah. So so uh, both Martha and Raleigh are lifelong friends. Um, uh, you know, three great kids and they're doing very well. And of course, uh, you know, as you just mentioned, Reggie, his brother, was the general manager with the Raiders. Um, you know, the thing is, uh, Jerry, in talking to you and looking back at my whole life experiences of sports and things, um, yeah, it's been quite a, um, you know, uh, uh, it's a, it's a diverse amount of sports that I've actually, um, uh, been a part of my experiences with, I want to throw this out to you. I don't know whether you went to, there was, was there a soccer game up in Iceland that we went to it was uh, USA, I think played, played Iceland. I did and, not attend that. Uh, if yeah. I remember right, Jameis Silafia went to that. I did not uh, well, go to that, but no, I remember the event. I, I I remember it. It was a happening. It was a friendly between the U.S. men's national team against the Icelandic men's national right, team, right? And it was right. a thing. And uh, well, I, I remember I did not go to that. I went to the Harlem Globetrotters. That's what I went to. Okay. Well, somehow <laughs> I thought you might have gone. No. Somehow, I, no, I, I wish I was not a soccer fan at the time. I didn't give a shit. I, I, you know, I really wasn't either, but somehow I got credentials. I don't know how I got them. I don't know. I don't remember how I got the credentials, but somebody that's says, the story hey, of your life, Pat. Uh, I, yeah, okay. I, I don't know how this <laughs> happened, but I was there. Well, you know, when I win the lottery, if that ever happens, like if I win, well, you, know, you, you better like, throw me a little know. scratch when that happens. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jesus. Uh, but uh, actually, you know what? You know what's going to happen? We're going to go down to L.A. and we're going to buy the biggest wattage radio station. We're going to start up KMET all over again. All over again. So, yep. Oh yeah. So, but 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 uh, but 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 you know, Jerry, let me say this: that you know, I, I know there's been so many things we've talked about. One of the things I wanted to mention to you, um, and you mentioned it earlier, that I'm a cancer survivor, mm -hmm. and and my experiences. Um, you know, probably unique to me, but then again, there's so many people who, who have in the United States who have cancer, one in every two men get cancer Jesus. And, and one in every three women get cancer. And there's a hundred forms of cancer. And let me say this, um, in 2013, 
Um, I was uh, in Virginia Beach, and I was out in the water. I get out of the water, and I feel a pain in my chest. And a um, um, good friend of mine, Liz, says, what's wrong? And I said, ah, I got something in my chest. I'm not feeling well. So, you know, move if I move the time forward fast in the story here, where I'm telling you is that I ended up going to uh, Fort Belvoir uh, a community hospital and they checked me out and they were looking, they, they thought I might have, they thought I was having heart issues. So they're looking all around my heart. Jerry, I had a tumor that was buried on the other side, which they were completely missing. And so, uh, in December of, uh, 2013, I think it was like December 29th. I could be reading me on this one and remember the date. I ended up moving a dresser at, at home and I, and the dresser was huge and I pick it up and it, it was, I was by myself and, and I moved this dresser and in doing so, when I moved the dresser, um, I didn't realize what I did was I end up having the tumor to bleed into itself. Now, I can tell you, and we just talked about religion and maybe not being religious, whatever, but, you know, whatever. Um, I can say that there must have been some kind of divi divine intervention or however I want to put it, because had I not moved that dresser and not caused the tumor that I had to bleed into itself, that tumor was um, expected to, the probability it would have ruptured and um, then I would have you know, the, the cancer would have been spread throughout my body. And I probably, from what I've been told, might have only had months to live. What happened was um, the next morning I feel this pain and it was tremendous. It was in my upper right chest. And if you're looking at me, I'd be in my left side. But anyway, um, and I couldn't believe it. I said, man. And so I was talking to my dad and he, my dad being the uh, – the uh, jock doctor that he was at the time he goes ah he says you got a hematoma he said you pulled a muscle oh, he said you, you were you were lifting up a dresser i said what he says ah oh, yeah he says you know he says it happens in golf it happens in baseball it happens in sports you got a hematoma don't worry about it i'm like okay jerry uh two weeks later uh, i still had that uh, pain in my chest so um it was like ended a up, hockey puck size freaking thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it started to grow. It looked like a can of skull coming out of oh, my Jesus. chest or a, hockey, or, or a hockey puck coming out of my chest. And so and so, what happened was I ended up going to, again, to the Fort Belvoir Community Hospital. They checked me out and they said, you know, we're going to send you over to, to Walter Reed in Bethesda. So the next day I go to Walter Reed uh, National Military Medal, Medical Center in Bethesda. And they did an ultrasound needle biopsy on me. And um, within a day or two later, I got a phone call. And the phone call was, Mr. Malone, you have cancer. And we might have to amputate your right arm. And, uh, and, and it was said yeah. with no bit, with no, that was the delivery by the doctor who, who said it. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I have to tell you something, Jerry. Uh, and I will admit this now. Um, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't scared uh, at the time because I was so shocked. I mean, I think when anybody is told they have cancer, um, you know, we all have to think that cancer is something that could be potentially terminal. And so 
um, you know, I, I said, okay, uh, I told the people at Walter Reed, I'm in your hands. And, um, Dr. Walter Phelis was my lead surgeon. And he told me, he says, we got a couple dates for you. We ended up uh, going with uh, February 11th of 2014. And, uh, which, uh, I remember to this day, I uh, got there at four 30 in the morning. As I mentioned, a good friend of mine, Liz took me there four 30 in the morning. And, uh, I got to tell you something, Jerry, um, I'm getting texts at that morning, um, you know, five, five, five 30 in the morning, I'm getting texts from friends. And, um, and when I read the text, I just started crying like a baby because I'm now changing to put my medical gown on because my surgery is going to happen within hours. And there was a med tech, a Navy med tech who was there. And, um, he was in his uh, blue Navy BDU BDUs. And, um, he told me, he said, uh, listen, he said, uh, um, I'm going to say prayers for you. And I looked at him now I'm in my smock that, you know, they, 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 you know, they had me put on and, and, uh, I said, thank you. He says, my wife has cancer. And I looked at him and, uh, I said, wow. I said, really? I said, what's your wife's name? And he told me his wife's name. I said, I'm going to say prayers for her. I said, but what kind of cancer does she have? Jerry, he told me she had three different forms of cancer. And I have to tell you, uh, to this day, they just didn't sound, it didn't sound like this was something that could possibly be cured. And I got choked up again. And when they put me in the wheelchair, I'm getting kind of choked up now, so I apologize. They put me in the wheelchair and I said, hold on a second. And he was looking at me. And I stood up and I saluted him and we and he saluted me back. And then I kind of got back in the wheelchair and then I wheeled into this um, pre-surgery room. And uh, I had this woman, Kendall. She starts putting um, juice into my arm basically to knock me out. I had my uh, I had Liz and Linda, Linda, Brian's mom's there and, you know, and, and they're sitting to my right. And, um, and, uh, I told this woman, Kendall, I said, Hey, listen, I don't want to wake up during the surgery. And she said, Mr. Malone, I'm going to make sure you're knocked out during the whole entire surgery. And then, uh, doctors started to come in. They started to mark up my chest, you know, different doctors come in and I'm like, wow. And then this one doctor says, we'd like to take pictures of the, uh, of the operation. Would you mind signing a release form? So I said, yeah, sure. And Jerry, underneath my breath, very quietly, and I didn't think anybody could hear this because I thought I was going to lose my right arm. I said, this might be the last effing thing I'm going to sign. And then a doctor comes over and turns around and goes, no, Mr. Malone, we're going to save your arm. Um, you have to relax. And I said, oh, no, no, I'm getting relaxed right here. And I'm pointing to Kendall. And then um, from what I was told, um, now, the last thing I remember that morning was uh, about uh, 7.30. Um, as I'm being wheeled into the operating room, there is an observation room where people can watch people getting wheeled in. Apparently, on my gurney, I sat up, and I'm saluting people in the observation room. Oh, Jesus. Not even remembering what I was doing. But in other words, I'm like, hey. You know, this might be my last time to do that. I wanted to kind of acknowledge the people who were there, I guess. Um, 
And then I woke up at 426. So the surgery was successful. I had the tumor removed. I had uh, my minor uh, uh, plexus muscle taken out. My major, they left. Well, you weren't using it anyway. Eh, Probably not. No, (laughs) no, you're right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times I'm not using I'm not, I'm not using that muscle that's between my ears anyway either. So, so let me say this though that when I woke up from my surgery, I looked at a clock and it was 4:26 in the afternoon, and that to me was like a you know uh, 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 it's like a second birthday. And, well, let's um, let's talk about the the stand up for cancer thing. You, you know, it's not just exactly. that you. Uh, you had it, you had surgery, right. you, you keep going back for the, you know, the checkups and, and, right. you know, whatnot. But, you know, a lot of people who would have it, have cancer or have any, any life-threatening, uh, condition or whatever, um, are leave it at that, right? Uh, that yeah. their, their lives have been spared, that, the, you know, they can go back to, to whatever normalcy they knew. Um, right. But you become an advocate. And so every year you do this, this stand up for uh cancer thing, this 24 hour thing. I don't know how you do it. Uh, I can't well, stand up for five fucking minutes, uh, without <laughs> needing to lean on something. Um, but you do this thing and you just did it recently, right? It was, it was, the, I did it. Yeah. Yeah. Last month. Thank you for mentioning it. You know, I did it, um, on uh, February. I start and I, everybody wonders why, it's always at 426 on the 10th and I finish on 426 on the 11th and it's my acknowledgement of uh, my second birthday, so to speak. So when I sit down um, and I toast, I am actually acknowledging and thanking the uh, tremendous medical staff at Walter Reed and also at Fort Belvoir community hospital. I think, you know, if it wasn't for them, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, they saved my life. And so in, uh, in a lot of ways, Jerry, what I'm doing is, uh, yeah, I'm standing up for 24 hours and I don't know how significant it is for me to do that. Cause I got to tell you something, I have a condition that, you know, kind of maybe limits me from doing that in the future, which, you know, I'm like, uh, I, I'm standing up for 24 hours is, is, is tough. You're right. But during the whole process of time people check in i got a good really great friend of mine he was a navy uh commander um phil seferetti and phil actually comes by usually around the 12 hour mark so you know right around 4:26 in the morning um he usually comes by uh fireworks and there's nothing there. there's nothing going on uh, but, but but phil has been a regular i have a lot of good friends who come by and they drop in and, 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 you know, there's a lot of donations that are made, but you know, it, it's one of those things, Jerry, um, you know, people don't realize, and I want to make this point to every single person who might be listening, whether it's you know, one or two people or whoever's or, listening. Or 30. Or 30. Or, or whatever or it ends up being. Right, know. right, right, right. But I, you know, if you're listening and, and I appreciate the fact that if you've gotten this far, well, I know we're, we're, we're kind of a, an hour and a half into it, <laughs> but if you've gotten this far, here's the winning equation of what I want to tell you, please go and have a medical checkup. If you have not had one lately 
and have the, the, the checkup done with a doctor who can really explore, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the chance of you having cancer. Because I have to say this, uh, certainly, um, and I was told this, had I gone to probably somebody earlier than you know, 2014, um, my experiences of the surgery might have been probably less severe. They would still had to go through the same procedure. I guess what I'm trying to say is, Jerry, is that once again, one in two men get cancer, one in three women get cancer. But, you know, a lot of times people can go and get a checkup and maybe catch it on stage one before it's stage four. Because, right. you know, people have to understand the different stages of cancer, stage one, stage two, stage three, and stage four. And sadly, and then we dead. Are, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. There's I mean, a fifth you know, stage. Right. The fifth stage is, you know, you're, you're in a, you're in well, a pine box. Yeah, yeah, we're not having that right. conversation. You know, but, but here's what I'm going to try to say is that I think there, there should be more of an emphasis on people trying to get to find out if they got stage one than stage four, because sadly, stage four is such a difficult process. Now, uh, but anyway, I, I'll, I'll jump off the soapbox and say this. Um, you know, I for what I do for Stand to Cancer is just a small amount of, of money that I raise because so much money is needed to try to cure cancer. And uh, I'm going to be doing it as long as I'm going to do uh, my Stand Up to Cancer fundraisers. I'm going to be doing them more in the future because it's just like I said, it's one of those things that I feel like I'm on a mission as far as that goes. And, you know, um, it's it's just uh, something that um, um, I'm as you as you should be. Yeah, you know, you know, yeah, no, and and the world's a better place with you in it. And well, no, thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, so I feel the same way about you. But I appreciate it. Um, there's a lot of people who might think otherwise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted to talk to you about um, inclusion in in baseball. Some of the things that have been happening the last couple of years, you know, uh, first of all, you know. Like I said, the world is a better place with you in it. So I'm glad you you have survived and, and you become an advocate for cancer uh, prevention, awareness, uh, all treatment, all of that. It's a, it's a great thing you're doing, e- even though you f- you might feel like it's a drop in the bucket. Um, it, it still raises awareness, and, and where you are in the world is a is a uh, you know it's a major media market, and people pay attention to what you do there. Yeah, uh, I know. We start. We started the conversation talking about baseball, and I thought we we would end the conversation talking about baseball. And we talked a little sure. bit about it last night. Just just you know, me and you, a couple of guys, uh, you know, shooting the shit. Um, but you know, we're starting to see some more equality and diversity and inclusion come to baseball where it hasn't been ever. And you're right. starting to see it in broadcasting with, with female broadcasting crews. You're starting to finally see it in coaching in baseball. Right. right? You, right. St- you started to see it a few years ago in football, in the NFL. Um, but now you're starting to see it in baseball. The Yankees have, uh, I believe, a female uh, assistant coach or, or executive. I can't remember which. Yeah, she's manager. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and, your uh, beloved Alexandria Aces have had a uh, female general manager. Um, Correct. 
Right. And and, it's... And, 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 and and let me throw this in there. Last year, uh, Jim Hammond, Jen Ham, Jennifer Hammond, um, she was uh, uh, our pitching coach uh, for the Aces, and um, and I can't and I would have to say this. I can't speak for Chris Brissett, but I will say this on his behalf. I think that uh, she was a tremendous asset for him and for all the players who played for the Aces last season because the Aces made it to what essentially is the Cal Ripken Collegiate Baseball League World Series. Right. And uh, they lost to the Bethesda Big Train, which, you know, by the way, the big trains like the Harlem Globetrotters and all the other teams in the Cal Ripken League are like uh, the Washington Generals. And I don't mean <laughs> any disrespect when I say that, but right. Sal, Cal- Sal Calangelo has created a machine in Bethesda, and I've known Sal for an, uh, a number of years, and and uh, and uh, Bruce Adams is the uh, – anyway, but Bruce Adams is, is also with the Bethesda Big Train, yeah. and they've got a machine going. But, but Jennifer, getting back to uh, – uh, what she did. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think though that Jerry, um, well, she did great by the way, uh, as, as a pitching coach for, for the aces, the Alexander aces. Last well, season. Rachel, Rachel Balkovic is the uh, manager of the Tampa Tarpons, uh, the right. class, class a team, uh, in the Yankees farm system. And I think right. it's absolutely freaking phenomenal. Um, you know, people always want to argue that there's not a diversity problem in this sport or that sport. My argument is always, did you even think to interview a minority? Did you even think to interview a female? Because a lot of people want to say that systemic racism doesn't exist or discrimination doesn't exist. But did you think to interview a female for that position? Did you think to interview a person of color for that position? Right, right. And the answer probably i can't speak for people but the answer is probably no yeah so so when you have somebody like balkovic who's now going to be a manager of a team right right. never mind a position coach or a specialty coach like a hitting coach or whatever she's running a ship she's she is skipper right 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 this is this is you know amazing and you know what gets me about it my favorite team, your favorite team, did this. Oh, absolutely. You know, and you got to give credit, really, to the Yankees. And certainly, uh, I will say that uh, if this was something that was inevitable, that one of the teams had to um, have a female manager, certainly I give credit for uh, to the Yankees, like you just said. But let me Bro- say this. Broadcasting's one thing, Pat. Right. Because right, I know right. Beth Mowens personally, and, I, and I'm thrilled with everything that Beth is achieving in her career right now. She's yeah. she's one of the, the top, you know, top college football play by play announcers. Uh, she's also, you know, breaking ground in the NFL and now she's sure. breaking ground in the NBA. Right. 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 But, but we've right. also yeah. we've also seen female broadcasting crews in the NBA, Major League Baseball and We've seen it in 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 hockey as well, but but to see women coaching now, all right, because we've right. had sideline reporters for years, but now we're getting play by play. Doris Doris Burke has you know has been uh, an analyst in the NBA for years, um, but now we're finally seeing women break through in sports where they've never even been considered before. Well, you know, let me say this: that certainly, I think that the 
uh, whole aspect of just humanity is that there is a, a pool of talent. I mean, the planet has 8 billion people. And so if you look at anything, whether it's sports or, or, or just any kind of uh, field whatsoever, you know, women have to fight their way to try to get some kind of equality with men. And that's one uh, stigmatism, and certainly within jobs, because a lot of times, and you know this, and I'm going to say this something, but everybody knows, is that a lot of times men and women can be having equal jobs, but sometimes men are getting paid more, for instance. Sure. And that whole imbalance has to end. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. It does not make any sense at all. Never and has so when, and it never will. Exactly. And so when you look at the transcendence of women who are becoming more and more into what might not be the normal places where they might be in sports, I just think any type, anytime this happens, um, you have to applaud the ability of a person to a woman, I should say, to put themselves up really to become the first, you know, or, you know, much like Jackie Robinson was the first uh, uh, black player. Get out of and, my head. But it, but it took the people, you know, in positions of power to take that risk. And right, say, and that's let, what I'm let, saying. You know, yeah. You had, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had him, and you had Larry Doby in the American League, and you know, and so you have to look <sighs> at people who are moving forward. You talk about inclusion. You know, um, Robert Sala, for instance, who's the head coach of the Jets. You may not know where I'm going with this. I know exactly where you're going with it. He's the only Muslim. Yep. Uh, a, a head coach, and so um, thank you because I figured you would know. But you know, <laughs> what? Uh, you yeah, know what? seriously, are you, right, are you right. really <laughs> thinking I did not know that? No, no, no. well, Jesus yeah. Christ. But <laughs> hey, that's a little test. You know, the thing is, Jerry, is that, and, and this is it, this is another little tidbit of a trivia, is that there are four thousand two hundred different religions or beliefs that are practiced on the planet every single day. And that's Googleable. People can look it up. And the reason why I bring this up is, is because there's a broad amount of diversity of just what people believe in. And, you know, the bottom line is, I think that everybody has to believe in the appeal that we want to do something good in life. And we want to bring a positive experience to whatever you're doing, whether it's your family, whether it's with your friends or whether it's with your job. And so like Mike Vec, who, you know, God bless Mike. Mike's got, uh, um, uh, what's his book? It's, uh, Oh, work you would is, you would ask that damn question. Yeah, and, and now, now I'm, I'm thinking about it. Well, but work is fun, or fun is okay, or whatever. But the but but the reason why I bring this up is because his experience is is that hey, make work fun and you make life fun. And I'm in the same philosophy as that. Kevin Hart's another type of guy where you know he, he's a comedian, nationally known, internationally known, and he says, "Man, let's make life fun. Let's make experiences fun." He never believes. It's and, fun uh, is good. How to create joy and passion in your workplace and career. That's what, yeah. For, for my, thank you for looking that up. You're welcome. But, 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 you know, getting back to the whole thing of inclusion, see, that's where I think it brings more people into the sport because you can say that more women are now following sports and more, more uh, uh, people are now following sports. You know, it's one of those things where I, I just think that uh, sports in itself has to be, a snapshot of the community that it represents. 
And if it's not, then then you know it's losing out probably. I, I'm on... writing that down, by the way. I'm stealing. Oh, I'm stealing that. No, I, and, I and, mean but, my. But that's and I really truly believe that because it has to be, because you know what? If you're if you're but anyway. So. No, yeah, and you're 100 percent right, and it shouldn't shouldn't fall on the shoulders of my like my cousin who, who damn near won a, a D3 national championship in in softball at St. St. John Fisher just outside of Rochester, um, you know to to carry the torch as a female baseball fan and, and right. you know she's she's doing it uh sure. as a red sox fan unfortunately but um you know bottom line is you know we need more inclusion we need people to 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 think when they're when they have a job opening let's interview somebody outside the box right let's right. not stick to the same you know homogenized candidate pool Let's think outside the box because you're going to get a different perspective. You're going to get a different slice of life that, you know, could help you get to where you want to go in, in unexpected ways. Right. So, right. And, and, and especially with women becoming more and more involved in, in, in sports, I think, uh, and I applaud that effort. Um, you know, I think that uh, it is something where, I think the old stigmatism uh, of uh, hey, it's a, it's a men's uh, game or it's a men's league or whatever. It's a good old boy network. That all has to eventually change, because um, you know uh, we're at a point now where um, our media is uh, instantaneous, and so uh, and the information is instantaneous, and so you know um, I can tell you my own thought of this is no matter what you're doing in life. If someone, whether it's a male or a female, doesn't matter what religion, what sexual orientation, what color, whatever, if that one person can help you out, you want to connect with that one person. And that's the way I feel. Sure. And that's the, way my, that's the way I was raised. My dad was raised the same way. That's the way my son feels the same way. Brian, uh, he's working as assistant manager at Glory Days Grill in Alexandria. He feels the same way. So, uh, and by the way, that wasn't a shameless plug, plug for you. Yes, it was. Oh, God, yeah, okay. we've been, we've been <laughs> plugging fireworks pizza all damn night. Yeah. Pat, we, Pat, I swear we could go on for hours and hours and hours and, well, I know. and we can and when, reminisce when, when, and we can, and, and let me say this. We'll have to talk sometime soon. We'll, we'll, well go yeah. with that. Yeah, we we haven't talked in a little while, and we've talked a few few times this week, and uh, we need to get back to regular conversation. But uh, no, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, we could go on for hours and hours and hours. You know, one of the things, and, and there's, a, I, you saw that I have this Facebook post going, and I and I'm going to cap the whole show with this because we started talking about baseball, we started talking about the Yankees, or right. we, we ended talking about inclusion in baseball, especially the forward thinking Yankees. And we'll put this out there. They I have suck, never suck. right. I have <laughs> never been a fan when when all all you can come up with is insert team name here sucks. Right. right, right, right. If if that is your chant, right. if that is your thing, I feel really, really bad for you. Like lions suck, or raiders suck, or giants suck, or 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 dolphins, or whoever. Marlins suck. I mean, right. one exception, <laughs> right. and that's for the Boston coming. fucking Red Sox. <laughs> and this is fun. for you, Dave Sawyer, and every other Red Sox fan out there. Red Sox suck. Go Yankees and and let's win the damn ship. 
Because <laughs> let's let's just let's go Aaron Judge. Let's go sign Freddie Freeman to play first base. Let's go freaking Yankees. Uh, Severino's going to come back and have a big year this year. Let's go Yankees. And uh, I, I had a thrill several years ago. I was in Pittsburgh and and uh, I actually and you know we're playing the Steelers and I actually got to meet uh, CC Sabathia in person. Um, wow. You know, so uh, let's go Yankees. Fuck the Red Sox. Red Sox suck. Um, and you know, I'm I'm. People think I'm weird. I, I grew up a Celtics fan, a Yankee fan, and a Raider fan. It's just the weirdest freaking thing. But anyway, Pat, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been five years. Five years too long. We yeah. we haven't seen each other in five years, but we had a great time the last time we were together at Fireworks Pizza. Pizza, uh, some of the best pizza and, and craft beer I've ever had. So if you're in that part of the world, just outside of D.C., go to Fireworks Pizza. Look it up. Uh, Pat's cousin owns it. Don't ask for anything for free. Um, pay, pay you know pay for it. Support uh, local businesses uh, when you get a chance. Pat, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, this has been absolutely freaking phenomenal. Well, Jerry, let me say this. I want to tell you something from the bottom of my heart. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I put on Facebook that uh, you're my brother from another mother. 100%. And, uh, and uh, you know, um, uh, the, the whole uh, the whole aspect of us doing this is, uh, like you say, it's been, it's been a long time. Um, but I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that uh, uh, tonight you have helped me bring back some uh, great memories and talk about some things. And, and I have to say, that um, I hope you have the uh, the address correct uh, for those checks to keep on coming back to me for propping you. <laughs> well, because because once that happens, you know, hey, hello, hello, yeah, <laughs> everybody, everybody's gonna be calling you now. But here's the thing: we're we're less than a week away from St. Patrick's Day. Our Irish has been hanging out all night. Those, those of us with any sliver of Irish heritage uh, will be celebrating St. Patrick's Day this coming week. Uh, Yep. I downed uh, a Guinness and uh, some Jameson tonight as part of the program, you know, because I'm half in the bag by the time the show's over. Uh, Pat, thanks again for being on the program. Uh, that's going to. I love it. And, and, and I'm going to let you close off, but let me say this. I want to say thank you and certainly salutes to everybody who's listened to this uh, final couple of minutes. Thank you for listening. And uh, I hope to be on sometime soon. Thank oh, you, Jerry. Yeah. Of I, I love you, man. Love you too, brother. That's going to do it for this edition of the Get the Knack podcast. For my very good friend, Pat Malone, I have been Jerry Knack. We'll talk to you next week.